once said, excellence is the gradual result of always trying to do better. Hello everyone and welcome to Nerdy Optometrist, a podcast channel for all things optometry and this is your host Upti Vora. Before we get started with the episode, please remember to like, share and subscribe to my channel on all your favorite platforms. Today we have someone who has been striving towards excellence in not just one but multiple areas in optometry and eye care and he is definitely a huge inspiration for all of us and it's my pleasure to have Dr. Tresit Dave on my episode for today. He's an optometrist, researcher and an inventor. Yes, he's three in one. I promise you we're going to dive into all of that. He has a PhD which involved research into corneal topography, aberrometry, and the development of topography-based algorithm. He is the owner of an optometry practice in Coventry, specializing in dry eye, myopia, and keratoconus. He is a fellow of American Academy of Optometry and has published papers in numerous journals. He is a co-author of Orthokeratology, Principles, and Practice. Well, I am not done yet. Dr. Trasit Dave has lectured all over the world and is a consultant to the medical device industry and a co-inventor of a technology owned by Topcon. Dr. Dave is the founder and chairman of Optimed, a developer of Captivate Connect, a patient engagement e-referral and digital healthcare solution for ophthalmologists and optometrists. As you can see, he has achieved a lot and that truly proves he is a nerd. So welcome to the nerdy family, Dr. Dave. <laughs> it's great and an honor to be called a nerd. Uh, and uh, thank you for saying Dr. Dave, which is really nice to hear. <laughs> because uh, my entire life, it's been Dave. And some, uh, I remember years ago, uh, I published an article with a very good friend of mine, David Ruston. And um, he was the... Uh, he was the second author, and people always thought that he was the only person who wrote the paper because it was Dave Ruston. So everybody just, I never got acknowledged for that paper. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're, they're, uh, I'm, uh, nowadays I put a, um, an accent on the E just to make sure there is uh, uh, a difference between Dave and Dave. Yeah, I know. I think those things do help, right, with people for the pronunciation. But yes, I definitely can say Dave and did pick it up the first time I read your name. So <laughs> that's great. Thank you. And yes, at Nerdy Optometrist, we do acknowledge and we have all the cool nerds in the eye care industry who has been part of this podcast. So we definitely make nerd, nerd and nerdy really cool out here. And <laughs> nerd is the new core. That Absolutely. is the new cool. Absolutely. <laughs> and I know that, you know, your introduction is like a little, uh, just a glimpse of all that you've done over the years. But I would like you to kind of step back and go really, really from where everything started. Because some of my guests did bump into optometry. Some of them had optometry as their plan since uh, they were kids. I want to know how was your journey? How did you bump into optometry and I get? Yeah, so um, I guess... You only know about optometry if you've got somebody in your family who is in the healthcare industry. In my case, it was nothing like that at all. And for me, it was more or less a visit to the optometrist. Um, you know, I'm quite proud to say I've, I've got nice five doctor sills in my glasses. So, uh, you know, you can imagine I was uh, uh, frequenting the optometrist quite quite a lot in uh, as a, as a uh, young boy. So, um you know, it got me interested in it. And um, especially the fact that it's kind of a profession, which is a healthcare profession, it's got medicine involved in it, it's got a business aspect to it. 
but what really drove me was the fact that I had autonomy. So, mm. you know, I don't think I was ever going to be someone who will kind of work in a kind of corporate environment. I don't, it really wasn't for me. Um, and and the fact that I could have my own practice, uh, grow it how I wanted to, develop it, specialize, and do all those great things that independent practice allows you to do is is really what kind of drove me into it. But I have to give full credit to your optometrist who encouraged you and showed you these different aspects that this industry offers, because I totally agree. It has so much to offer in terms of the business, the clinical the research. And I think you've done most of it in your introduction, as I've highlighted that you've done innovation, you've done business, you have done research, like you've done it all. But tell us a little more about like, you know, it's great that you wanted to get into optometry but you have achieved a lot so let us talk about your professional journey a little bit and if you can break it down of how did each of these things happen uh so you know I went straight from school so in the UK you do your A-levels and uh, I was sort of um, a, a July baby so that means that I was probably the youngest in the year um so I was I'd finished my A-levels at 17 so I went into university just at 18 to do optometry. Uh, and unlike the US, we don't have like a, a graduation program for a basic, um, uh, like a medical uh, or a science uh, foundation. You go straight in. Um, so by the time I finished my optometry degree, I was 20. So then we have like a year, year and a half professional exam. So 21st birthday, I was a qualified optometrist. And um I was sort of sick and tired walking into practices. Uh, and I, actually, I was sick and tired during my professional year. People just, patients sort of saying, are you sure you're qualified? Are you sure you're qualified? And it it really just bothered me. And I just, I just could see the fact that it's just going to happen for a number of years in my career. So um, I, I kind of took the step that I wanted to go into higher education. So I wasn't sure at that stage. So I'd had an offer for a place of medicine uh, at the University of Birmingham. And um, and also an offer uh, for a PhD uh, at Aston University. So I, I graduate. My undergraduate was at City in, in London, uh, and then um, because of the way the funding system works here, uh, a six-year, five-year medical degree would have been self-paid, which kind of at the time it was a, an unaffordable thing to do. Um, and uh, my PhD was funded, so I kind of took the decision to go and do the PhD, uh, which was. You know, for me, looking back now, probably was the best thing. And I always sort of think whatever happens, happens for the best. Um, sure. And I think it was it was the right decision for me because I wouldn't have done all the other things I, I do. Because although I love the clinical side, there are a lot of the business sides and the development side that I would just wouldn't have had ever had that exposure to if I was a, a full-on ophthalmologist by this time. So, um, yeah, no, I, I'm pleased I did what I did. So, yeah, did my PhD. Um uh, what happened after that? So that was for like four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the day of my Viva, um, I we, I sort of thought about having my own practice. I, I really wasn't, I, although I enjoyed research, I didn't enjoy the red tape surrounding research. I felt I could still do that from my own practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I decided to uh, uh, start a practice from scratch. So the, I didn't buy an existing practice, bought a building, uh, and started the practice. This is going back 27 years ago now, um, and uh, started it from scratch and sort of built it up from 
zero patience uh, to where we are today, where we're running like two, sometimes three consulting rooms uh, practice. Uh, and it's a full-time uh, full time practice, although I'm not there full-time. I'm sort of there maximum three three days a week, and then I split my time. So, um, and and um, shall I carry on? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I, 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 I actually also had a question before we kind of talk about the latter half of your journey. Uh, this was really interesting where you mentioned that, you know, you did your PhD and it gave you an aspect about like business and innovation. Usually PhD is kind of tied with the fact that, oh, you're only going to do research, publish papers and like, that's the set mentality, right? But I liked how you mentioned it helped you with the business, it helped you with innovation, it helped you with a different perspective. Can you talk a little bit about that aspect with PhD? Sure. Um, so my PhD wasn't, um, it had a bit of a clinical element to it, but, it, you know, I, I'm a, we're on the nerdy optometrist, so I'm a bit of a maths geek. I love maths. Um, I'm, I'm a bit more of a nerd in that side of things. Uh, so my PhD was all about um, corneal topography. So we, and in those days, topographers had just come out. I remember the the, the, the amazing topographer was the, the ISIS and the TMS-1. Uh, and um, so, you know, that had just come out. And so that, I was very lucky to uh, have got a PhD, which was to do with topography. Hmm. Um, so the, the it, although it didn't tell me anything about business, it taught me about product development and it taught me about uh, obviously improving, developing algorithms and testing those algorithms and then testing them on, on a, a cohort of patients and prior to that even just uh, artificial models uh, of structures um so it gave me a, a huge learnings on on product development i guess um if i reflect back um and um and obviously publications were were uh, absolutely yeah. essential in that area but but it was a good time to do that phd because that's when things like refractive surgery prk were just coming on board um, there was a lot more interest on RGP fittings for keratoconus rather than sclerals, um, uh, as well as uh, ortho-K, obviously. And mm. um, that kind of probably leads to the next part, which is the ortho-K. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think that's a good segue. And I really like to have you mentioned and did talk about product development. And I think we can, I would want to kind of talk about it a little further ahead in our conversation. But yeah, let's let's talk about the second part of your journey about orthokeratology and everything that you're doing like now um so yeah i guess you could kind of split it up into two areas one which is kind of clinical um uh, that side of my life and the other side is obviously the um uh product development side so uh, there's there's a number of people who are kind of key in that area but certainly uh, in terms of something like ortho k i remember um, uh, i mentioned dave ruston who's who's uh, uh, now in the corporate side of, of industry. Uh, and of course, that's another uh, career development path that people shouldn't forget. Um, but um, he and I, were, he helped me, uh, he worked at a very prestigious practice in London. So when we were comparing the topographer that I built out of a salad bowl uh, and LEDs, um, he had, he was he was the probably one of the first practices in the UK to have uh, a, a, an ISIS topographer. So we were kind of comparing compared to that uh, that device. So, um, but he and I went to a, a lecture from um, uh, an amazing optometrist, uh, John Mountford, who is also known as the godfather of orthokeratology. Um, and he was really inspirational to me because I, I heard what this guy who in his practice on 
the 40-something floor in Brisbane in Australia was doing uh, and collecting data for OrthoK. And I was absolutely amazed because he'd collected enough data for two or three PhDs. You know, it was amazing. Wow. So I, I was privileged to attend his lecture. And then once we got do- talking to John, um, he he was like, wow, we could really work together. And, um, and that's how it started with John, uh, uh, David and myself ending up writing this book on uh, orthokeratology. Mm, very, very interesting. I don't know how you had time, but I I believe that's what uh, makes you a nerd and brings you on this podcast. <laughs> well, I, I, I have to say it wasn't all, it was majority of the work was John's and I was kind of, I feel like uh, it, it, you know, it's his, it's his book uh, mm. and I'm privileged to be a co-author on that really. So, yeah. That's wonderful. But I really like, and I wanted to kind of go back to this discussion about product development. And you also mentioned about like, you know, that is another career uh, path in probably corporate side of things. And I really feel like now there is this whole boom of technology and eye care and uh, the corporate side and the startups. But you had, as you mentioned, right, like you did all this years ago. So I, any, any advice or any thoughts here in terms of looking at uh, say PhD or optometry from the product development side because we are consumers in the sense like company will bring a product we'll use it but you have built a product you started thinking about algorithms comparison how can you develop your own product to help the eye care industry do you have any insights or any tips for people now in the industry of how can they look at issues and kind of think about product development instead of just product consumption yeah, I, I guess the first thing is um, you've got to be passionate about it. Uh, I mean, if you don't follow your dreams, you you can't force yourself to be good at everything. Um, so, you know, if if you are really passionate about something, you'll find learning in that area so much easier. Um, and then the second side is obviously ask questions. You know, there's there's uh, there's n- it's so much easier learning from somebody who's made all those mistakes already. So um, asking people and not worrying about looking stupid is is really important. Uh, obviously, try not to ask stupid questions. So do do some of the <laughs> do, back- <your> research. <laughs> do some of the background work. I think that that's at least uh, uh, a prerequisite that you sh- you should you should really if you're if you're enthusiastic you'll have done that. Um, and then the rest will kind of lay itself out because you know um your interest in that area will drive you to attend more meetings to meet the right people and there's obviously a set you've got to have a little bit of luck um i was fortunate enough to uh to have um a, 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 a gentleman called andrew york who really um who's managing director of topcon actually uh, in the uk now um but i met him it, 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 we, we still talk about it because he said i i met you uh, at aston and you were this really cocky young guy who thought you knew it all um i don't quite remember it that way i have to say but <laughs> <laughs> but um he, he he obviously we kept in touch and um he was really helpful in kind of bringing me introducing me to the right people um and then as i started to meet people from japan and and the development team there because obviously these people are not really accessible um then then obviously your enthusiasm and your abilities hopefully show through and and then it leads to one thing after another yeah i think i think that's a great example of how you mentioned of you know the power of networking and talking to the right people because sometimes uh, you feel uh, you just reach out to people when you need something like you know yeah. it's, it's 
most of the time it's transactional versus many a times when it's your real interest where you were trying to kind of build something or just know what is going on in the industry and then you would not know what opportunity lies in front of you so i feel that's a that's a great example of you just trying to reach out to people in the area that you were interested in and then you were able to kind of you know get into all these new avenues and aspects of the industry i think the other thing is that you know things have obviously changed from 30 years ago in terms of my journey and and you just got to be a little bit wary i mean these days you, you know people find out about you through social media and mm. sometimes you can be really proactive on social media some uh, another guy who's obviously doing all the work and working really hard and is passionate about that may not be quite so proactive probably because he doesn't have the time so you know i think you 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 you've got to balance that even if you're a nerd um do something on there because you've got to be seen and if you're not seen uh, you're invisible nobody's going to find you but um the other side of it is you get people who are posting all the time uh, and and you know that doesn't necessarily mean they're the best either at that they're not they may not be the nerds so it's a kind of a fine balance between you know what you post how you post it um uh, and being found so you know put a little bit of effort into that obviously conferences and the traditional approaches to uh, putting publications on and attending conferences even if you're a clinic even if you're a clinical optometrist you know you can still be doing uh, presentations posters um at conference you don't have to be part of a university that's important to remember Yeah absolutely and I think you again I I am so excited about like all the topics that you're bringing up because social media is something which I know there are many people who even reach out to me they're like oh I can't post every day or like do I have to be consistent do I have to do this I'm like I understand social media is exhausting I myself have times when I'm like okay you know what if I don't feel like it I won't post it which is fine it could just simply be say instead of uh you know writing your own post or putting something on social media you can comment on something interesting that you read or if someone posted that's also a way of saying that you did read or you do you do exist it could just be uh, a meaningful comment to something that has been already posted so people right. know you know you do exist and you've read and you're interested in it and it as you mentioned it could be a case it could be a publication it could be a research it could just be a link of like this is my work just check it out it could be as simple as that <laughs> could even be a question yeah <laughs> could even be a question it's a so huge resource of knowledge there and uh, i mean a lot you learn more from your mistakes than you do from all the amazing things that you do so sometimes it's you know don't, there's nothing wrong in being wrong yes absolutely absolutely and i think that's also something that i keep talking about to like uh, many people i am like do not fear failure it's just going to make you better and at least you'll have a good story if not more <laughs> Yeah, yeah, 20 years from now they'll be on your podcast saying I did this stupid thing. <laughs> well, absolutely. But when we talk about product development and everything you've done right, we talk everything about the clinical stuff, but you're also working on developing this uh Captivate Connect which is like your e-referral patient engagement uh, platform. And of course, you know, switching gear from something which is Yeah, uh, you're working on algorithm for topography is one aspect of it, but building another platform, I'm sure it might be like a shift. How did that happen? What what's the story there? So, you know, if if you're a multi-billion dollar company, right, you you'll probably invest 
a few hundred thousand pounds just or even more uh, just trying to find what the need is in a market what a consumer need is or what a, a medical or a clinical need is um obviously i've never had that luxury so um what the way i've established needs has been very organically um in other words from my experience with patients um i mean i've i've always enjoyed communicating with patients uh with clinicians uh be it giving a presentation or even just talking to patients in a practice and i never really thought of it as something that i excelled in but actually when my patients came out and my they would talk to my front uh, front end staff you know they would always make really good uh, positive comments in the main um and i realized that actually communication was a really important part of uh, any clinician's life so and if you do it properly we're not all blessed with a natural ability to communicate you know because we you know someone might be brilliant clinically but not able to deliver exceptional ex- uh, present uh, explanations to patients and also it took time so um that that led me to sort of develop the first uh, version of captivate which was basically uh, we developed uh, patient education animations and and although i was kind of initiated that whole process um these days we've got like a team of amazing animators uh, as part of our company that work for us full time so um we make probably the best 3d medical animation of of you know any ophthalmology condition um any optometry related surgical related thing so we're only in ophthalmology um and we built a system that allowed people to communicate in a logical order so uh, it will it will tell you what you start you you might you start with symptoms and then vision and then an explanation on the treatment and then surgery and you can kind of show little bits and bobs of of that to the patient and then we realized well actually that takes a while what if we could you know for those that want to do that great but for those that haven't got the time wouldn't it be great if we could share that content and so then we built a system where you could share it by sms you could share it by email and then we thought oh that's great what if you could brand that to the optometrist so then when people share it it brands it with the optometrist or surgeons logo uh, and and it evolved because then we started to do things like adding an appointment button on there we added the ability for the patients to share it we added uh, the ability to to uh, embed this on the clinicians websites and even make a qr code and have that on reception and, and all those kind of things so um but you know the long and short of it was it was still a really good patient engagement and marketing platform we still needed more and so you know over the last you know we, we i read on the new, i was listening to the news and it said you know uh, or, or maybe it was a, a, a an article i was reading it, it sort of said well don't worry about the pandemic because great things evolve from things like this mm. um and that really resonated with me because i thought wow okay the clinics are closed um it's time to just pause and think and just you know put uh, put a strategic plan together and think about what we're going to do next what direction do we need to move into and i had always felt that optometry and ophthalmology rather than being you know like this they needed to be like this you know um and we're fortunate in the uk we don't have such antagonism at all uh with ophthalmology um and we tend to work really really well together um so um we decided to build a referral platform um so to connect all of our uh, optometrists and ophthalmologists together building a secure system that would allow referral back and forth two way referral 
um, with obviously the ability to add these um, all the great imaging that you know optometry practices have invested in, be it OCT, topography, you know all the different scans and things that we take, Optimap images, and being able to put these automatically into a referral so that when it goes to an ophthalmologist, they've got all this amazing data at hand. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that whole thing connected uh, to a point where we've consolidated the, the engagement, the education, the referral, and now also digital consent or electronic consent built into the same application because consent's not just important for ophthalmology uh it's mandatory for ophthalmology but these days with optometrists doing uh things like myopia management ortho k contact lens consent um uh, optometrists here are also you know in hospitals certainly they're doing things like intravitreal injections retinal lasers corneal cross-linking uh, glaucoma slt treatments yag treatments so um you know those things will move, move into primary care hopefully and we can probably talk about that too but yeah that's that's going to be a a really interesting development so the consent was important uh, I think this is very interesting how just the small idea of, you know, creating patient education material did flourish into such an amazing platform, which has so much more. And, you know, there's this saying where we say like an idea can change your life. I think that this is a true example of an idea of just making better communication and like then uh, spreading it across and helping other people led to so many other pieces that you know you did build together and put in a strategy to it so I think this is really interesting for anyone who has an idea uh, I would say just just go for it move forward discuss it with the right team and you never know what that idea can lead it to and, and one other word persistence you know mm -hmm. because that original idea may not may not work Right. Um, you may have something, you may have something there uh, that just needs a lot more, uh, as we would say here, meat on the bones. You know, you need to mm -hmm. add a lot more to it because in its current form, it's it's not quite ready. So right. and, and some people kind of regard that as a failure or some people think, well, OK, it's not going to work or um, but everything starts from a fundamental basis and you have to grow that. So. You know, when you have um, rejections or hurdles or barriers to to adoption, they're not really barriers. You know, right. um, they're, they're, they're it's and, and it, you know, it, it's I can tell you hand on heart uh, when you're the developer of these things. It hurts when, <laughs> when, when you hear that, when you get those barriers, you know, it really hurts. So, um, but you've got to have thick skin and you've got to have that determination. And, and one thing I learned was don't regard those uh, barriers as being negative. They're just another great suggestion to go and develop that additional part that you need. Um, obviously, you just don't go and build everything that you're, uh, people suggest willy-nilly because you have to investigate it. But in general, uh, as a general rule of thumb, it, 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 there's a reason why people, you know, people aren't buying your stuff. It's because there's a reason behind it. You, you know, they might agree on the fundamental principles of it. It just needs more work to it. And once you've done that, it will flourish. You know? And you can see that history in so many entrepreneurs who have right. come from nothing and made something of themselves. It's that you know, it's that drive and persistence to know that what you've got, you've got to believe in and, and it, you know, realize that, yeah, you've got to make it better and continue to do that. I think that's wonderful how you brought and did talk about these challenges, because that was going to be my next question that we did talk about all amazing things. But tell us a little more about roadblocks. You did guide us on, you know, how to kind of 
take that and make it into a more positive uh, change to make your product or like your idea more meaningful. But what has been your biggest challenge throughout your journey? Because I'm sure there'll be many, but if you can share like few of them and how did you overcome that? Ooh, uh, time, time, I think. Uh, and time management is probably mm. the biggest challenge. Um, so I think um, balancing all those things with, you know your your clinical um clinical role to you know development role and obviously the most important thing your family right. um is 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 definitely a challenge so um you know it's again i think i'm really blessed with having a, a great family or great wife and kids that are always behind me and they're really interested in what we do uh or what i do with with a team and a great team that i'm part of so you know uh the the, the guys who work within the company you know they've been with us from day one and have been with us for like 15 years you know so they haven't moved on they've stayed with us and they're behind it so i think those are those are the the the, the great things um that the challenges um in addition to time well i guess um your mental health you mm. know so um having an outlet uh is really really important uh it's it's something you read about but we all especially entrepreneurs they're terrible at understanding that they need uh to have an outlet you don't think you can just work every hour of the day because it's not good for you you know it's not good for your mental health um you know uh, do something that is going to take you out of that zone because you you know three hours of tired thinking is equivalent to 30 minutes of you know amazing thinking. thinking yeah that's true yeah so i mean you need that time out um and and it's, it's no surprise when people come back from a holiday they're so much more um invigorated um motivated you know you, you need those things so plan, plan that it's it's not about it's not a competition of who does the most hours. It's the most, the quality of those hours. That's important. That's absolutely. And I'm, I so love that you, you know, did bring this up because I was also going to ask you, like, does it get overwhelming with like so many things that do exist with, you know, you have to kind of present, give a talk, have your own clinic, work on your product and like the software side of things. It can be overwhelming uh, along with your family, right? And that's, that's something that I'm so glad you did bring it up because sometimes... I just have like a job and a podcast, I would say. But even with two things plus your family, you can sometimes feel I'm not in the right mindset to do this. But you're like, no, I have to do it. So that do I want to do it versus do I have to do it? That struggle keeps on going back and forth. And it just takes out the productivity or the fun out of the process. It just becomes a chore instead of an actual fun activity that you started working on. So I think that balance is really important. And, and obviously, if there are deadlines, you know, um, you you can say no um, yeah. that you can't do it. I mean, you, you know, it, it's 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 about what you produce at the end that's important. And and also, you know, if you can't do it, you can't do it. Um, but ultimately, it's only a matter of time when it will be done. So you know, time will deliver <laughs> all the deliverables. So uh, let let time happen, but don't don't kill yourself doing it. You know, make sure you you take that time up for yourself, you know. Um, but yeah, absolutely. That's a great advice. And I really love to have you said like, you know, don't kill yourself because with you doing so many things, if you have time, I'm sure we all can do better with our time management. <laughs> time management, delegation, you know, um, yeah. I, I think, again, it's another problem with... Um, uh, I think if you if you're a uh, if you're a small company 
and you're the kind of person leading a, a team, um, you tend to want to do things all yourself. Uh, yes. And sometimes you're not the best person to do it. You know, um, it, it's it's been a lesson I learned the hard way, really, uh, not through advice, but, you know, uh, I delegate a lot more and it's really important to delegate. And actually, people who you give those opportunities to, they relish doing them uh, and, mm-hmm. and they pick up things that you don't. So um, it's really, really important to, to have that as a team. And, and even in modern healthcare, you know, you have a multidisciplinary team. You have teams that do different things. So, and it's important to not just let those teams do their things, but to get together and talk about, you know, what each of those roles have been and discuss individual things, or pro- it could be a project, it could be a patient, it could be all sorts of things. But sometimes when you sat together and, and discussed it, it brings up things that you didn't realize because in your own little world, you know, you're in your consulting room just doing one thing. You don't know what's gone out on, on, on this person in location A, location B or location C in your practice. So having a, a joint collaboration is really, really important. And that applies whether it's optometry, ophthalmology, or even whether you're developing a product, you know, it, you talk to your end user, you talk to your developers, you talk to the system infrastructure, you talk to the marketing team. Um, you know, there's so many aspects to it that you have to to bring together. So teamwork literally does make the dream work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, lo- I love that. And I think now we did talk uh, a lot about like, you know, the practice, your journey and ev- everything that you've done. But now we would like to dive into my game segment, which is one another fun segment that I really enjoy. And it's mainly to know a little bit more about you. Okay, so it has got very little to nothing about optometry or eye care. It is just about knowing you a little more. And it's a simple game. It's called this or that. I'll give you two options. You just have to pick your preference or things that you like. Okay. All right. So first question, are you a dog person or a cat person? Dog. All right. What do you prefer, phone call or a text? Text. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nerdy comment. (laughs) Glasses or contact lenses? Uh, I'd love to say contact lenses, but uh, with my five doctor sales, it's going to be glasses, I'm afraid. (laughs) All right. Online shopping or shopping in store? Sorry, I, I just thought of another answer for the for the previous question. I'm I'm gonna say uh, uh, clear lens extraction. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, next uh, question. No, we'll take that. We'll keep that for sure. I'll add that in my next in my next uh, game way when I do it. Someone else probably something else. You know, you, we never know what we come up with, but that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, coming back to the next question. Online shopping or shopping in a store? Online shopping. Every Online. day. All right. Oceans or mountains? Oceans. Okay. Horror movie or comedy? Comedy. Most important uh, thing in your partner, intelligence or uh, fun? I mean, being funny. Being funny. Being funny. All right. Movie or reading a book? Uh, movie. All right, wonderful. That was this and that, and I definitely know a lot more about you. <laughs> after, after reading papers all the time, the last thing you want to do is read a book. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. So I definitely know you prefer movies, and then that's something that you know that's fine. We can do something together for sure. Uh, but before I let you go, thank you once again for this amazing conversation. I learned a lot, and I'm sure all my listeners also did. Uh, any final takeaway message for all of them? 
Um, well, have a have a great career, um, and you're you're in you're in a great, wonderful profession. And keep pushing the boundaries. Don't be afraid of um, you know your 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 road to qualification is just the first step, and there are so many things you could do. And just keep pushing the boundaries. It's it's you know you, you, and enjoy it. Don't go into anything you don't enjoy, and that's that's simple, obvious piece of advice. But we don't always follow it. So yeah, make sure you enjoy it. Have a that's- bit of fun. True. That's true. I loved it. Like keep pushing your boundary and you know enjoy what you do. Uh, thank you once again for your time and all the piece of advice that you shared and everything that you're doing for all of us to help our life and our industry uh, much better. Thank you once again for your time and again warm welcome to the nerdy family. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Take care of the all the best of luck with your fantastic podcast. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs>